Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Thomas Noor. Thomas is the founder and CEO of CostBits, but he has held multiple roles within procurement. He helped lead digital transformation at Maersk and worked as head of operations consulting at PwC. Now he is applying all of his digital and human experiences to change people's behavior with regard to procurement. So hello, Thomas. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you. Enjoying being here. So in my intro, I shared very high-level details about your experience. But what else should people know about your journey to this point? Um, oh, my God, it's been a long journey. I've been doing this <laughs> most of my life, right? So, <laughs> something. There's no take all of it. I think maybe a few key points would be to maybe just point out the fact, I mean, one, I've done this for 20-plus years, so I had a bit of experience in this. I think most fundamental is that I've taken the journey from very operational purchasing all the way through to being CPO multiple times. And actually, my original background is I come, I have a marketing background, which we may come back to, and I actually started with working in sales, which is definitely a skill set that is, uh, it's been useful when working with procurement, given that most of the time we spend on this, you know, selling the skill sets of procurement internally and selling the ideas of, you know, having to convince a buyer to bid on whatever we're trying to buy this time, right, externally, so. And I think beyond that, I mean, I worked 12 years in Maersk. I joined Maersk Procurement when it was three people. And then four years later, we were 400 people wow. and built. It's been a, a massive journey, right? I stayed in Maersk for 12 years where we took it from pretty much nothing, built the regional departments with CPO a bunch of times. So I've done turnaround for global MNCs. And last year, I built you know, yet another procurement supply chain department, but this time doing consultancy for PwC. And now I'm doing this. And it's been a long journey, but you still seem to have your heart in the work, I guess is, is a way of saying it. And one of the things that stands out to me from your experience is that it sounds like you've been in individual contributor roles, you've been in management level roles, you've been at the C level. What do you think that your time at all of those different tiers of the organization gives you to work with today? Oh, quite a lot, actually. Um, I think this is not just because I come from marketing, but the fact that you have, you know, when you work in marketing, you work with different personas and different buyer profiles normally. Uh, but when you work with procurement, you also work with different stakeholder profiles, being internally or externally. That could be management. It could be employees. It could be, you know, whoever has the mandate from a cost perspective to say yes or no to whatever crazy procurement idea we have, plus all the suppliers, right? So I think... It's been a huge benefit to have, you know, have had most of the roles actually that I have to engage with. 
And that's that's incredibly important, that kind of experience that you bring. And yet we've also said the D word a couple of times <clears throat> now, right? You can't talk about procurement these days and not bring digital into it. And yet, you know, when you and I connected previously to sort of speak in advance of this interview, we started with technology like many of my pre-interviews do, but we quickly came around to a topic that I find more interesting and that I think is maybe more useful for people to think about, which are some of the different gaps that exist in organizations. So we talked about the gap between procurement and finance. We talked about the gap between executives and operations. And then even different types of business units, especially in very large global enterprises, Can you talk a little bit about your experience with identifying, first of all, and then starting to address some of those gaps? Oh, absolutely. I think maybe just take it back from when, I think the first time we realized that we actually had to go back and just think twice about who we were working with was when I and a few other people were establishing what we called MERSC Procurement University within, you know, MERSC. So we just started procurement where less than a handful of people and people had no clue about procurement. So we had to go out and basically sell ourselves internally and externally. So, so that was a bit of an interesting journey for us. Um, and what we quickly found was that, you know, the selling point, so to speak, for, you know, the cost owners were, you know, one set, but the selling point to whoever in C-level had the mandate was completely different versus the selling point towards, you know, blue-collar workers in depots and terminals, which is really where you're working when you're working global shipping, had a very different perspective on what procurement could actually do for them, right? I think what we realized was also, you know, after having done a few rounds of making what we thought was fantastic global contract with, you know, massive impacts. And then, you know, one year later, having somewhat difficulty of actually counting the money bottom line because half the contracts were not really being used and people had not really heard about them and we had maybe not engaged them in a way that motivated them. We had to go back and say, okay, so who are we actually working with? And then we started, we basically took a, a standard marketing approach, you know, what are the personas we're working with? What makes them tick? What motivates them? How do they get measured? Can we maybe change some of this? So one of the things we did was, for instance, we said every time we do a sourcing or category, we had to have the same measurables all the way from blue colors all the way up to sea level. Well, we could, you know, we didn't always succeed, but, you know, we had to kind of get aligned on this. And then we still had to work with all the differences because it's just a massive difference sitting in legal or finance versus in procurement versus in IT or working as a dock worker somewhere. So... I think it took us a few years to maybe, you know, kind of take the, take our own medicine as saying, okay, we need to listen to whoever we're buying for, not just what we're buying, right? Now, you've, you've mentioned personas and you've talked about the fact that you spend time <clears throat> in marketing. Just very quickly, for procurement and sourcing professionals that are listening in, what is the importance of identifying the different personas that those of us who haven't spent time in marketing might just think of as stakeholders or audience. How do you go about defining the personas that you're working with, but thinking of them as approachable groups um, versus getting sort of focused in on individual human personality traits? Mm, definitely. Yeah, I think that's a super good point because you have different layers of the personas. You definitely have the ones that are 
defined by the position within the organization, the functional aspects of the role, the mandate they carry, and then the different personalities, which, you know, in the end is the ones that you need to motivate. And the reason for even having personas, honestly, is to try to identify common traits within a group of people that we work with. So if I work with C-suite, I know that these people are mostly concerned about, you know, the strategic impact, they focus about compliance and risk mitigations, and they either focus on, you know, steep cost cutting or maybe facilitating growth, depending on, you know, the traction of the company. But if I work with, you know, frontline office or blue collar workers, they mostly focus about, you know, do we actually have a contract and supplier setup that will make their life easier and when they can be compliant without having to spend all the time, you know, manually looking up stuff, you know, in the catalog or online where they can't find it anyway. So so we had to build these personas simply to find a way to make sure that whatever we did in procurement had a real impact on the different types of groups that people work with, but also to find out what motivates them. So we could actually go to these groups and make sure that we would engage them in a way that was, you know, eye to eye saying, if we do this, your life will be easier, dear office worker. Or if we go to C-suite, we can make sure that we, we support the strategic path for the company as a whole. Very, very different agendas, but probably within the same sourcing, honestly. And yet it's interesting, if I remember correctly, you had to bring all of these people on board, but you chose not to train by persona. So you took people from different persona groups, organizational levels, business units, and sort of mixed them up for the sake of training. What was the rationale behind that? And and what do you think the outcome was? Yeah, so there was a bit of learning. So we did the personas, and then honestly, we did a few rounds of training. So I've been training a few thousand people uh, just within Maersk. And i got to be honest, probably like 90% of those were not procurement staff and would normally not have a procurement job, but people that had to work with procurement, right? Um, so when we've done the personas, the first rounds of training we did, we would take you know homogeneous groups of people with more or less the same personas, more or less the same level of responsibilities. And what we got out of that one was we had really good, deep discussions within a very narrow field. But what we did not get out of it was we were not able to bring in understanding of you know, the other stakeholders that this group would have to engage with. So we basically, as a test, we said, okay, next time we do a round of this training, which was like a four or five day training with maximum 20 people, we said, let's just mix it up. Let's just make sure we have representation for all types, including, you know, very senior management people and all the way down to the two blue collar workers. And we did that and the dynamics was just massively better. And the sources we did afterwards was also a lot better than this, um, simply because we managed to get the different people in the room who all, turns out, work with the same suppliers, mm-hmm. had the same operational issues. And so so we ended up taking the personas and using it quite differently than you would if you actually have marketing. We said, because we know the personas, now we can mix them. When marketing, you would say, I have a group, and I will all address them kind of the same way, at least from the get-go. Now, so many times when we think about leading procurement transformation, we always go back to sort of that classic triad of people, process, and technology. And so we acknowledge the people, we tolerate the people sometimes, but procurement tends to focus on investments in technology and changes to process. Why do you think we tend to either not put enough energy into the people aspect or in some cases forget to invest in the people at all? I think there's a range of issues for that one, um, or reasons for it. I think one of the key things is that it's a lot more controllable to work 
with systems and processes because you know you can map it out, you can make a plan for it, you can get resources, funding, you know, consultants, whatever can help you out with it. You can be very factual about it. But most people don't have a skill set to be factual about the, the people that they have to engage with, the personas or the segments or the stakeholders that they actually should be working with, and they tend to forget them. Or they maybe they spend the first you know bit of time whenever they start you know a big project with a focus on system and processes to just map out you know we're working with Kelly we're working with Thomas and John and Joe, and then they they have it on list and they don't work with it anymore. They don't get them engaged because it's more difficult because you have to work with people. But the real difference is actually you need to find a way to get the people motivated because you don't motivate it doesn't work. I mean. I think most in procurement have tried making awesome contracts and then coming back and then realizing that nobody's even heard about them, right? I think we had a learning at some point uh, where I actually pitched a project to start regional procurement where we were sitting in headquarters in Denmark and saying, now we've, you know, we saved uh, X amount of hundreds of millions. We were all fantastic. And then we couldn't really find the money. And we started asking on the regional level. And then they had a different perspective on this, and they never really heard about our systems and processes, but they didn't recognize some of the people. And we'll go layer by label, regional to national to, you know, frontline dog workers. And most were not using the same systems and processes, and most had never heard about it. So if we didn't think the people, we would honestly only be working on a subset of what needed to be worked on to make sure we had real impact. It's just it's too easy to work on systems and processes, even though that is very complicated. We should work on it, but we should remember that they're being used very differently. Mm. C-suite will use it in one way, and a dock worker will use it in a very, very different way, and maybe only a portion of it. And we tend to forget that. Well, I also think there has to have been a challenge that you and your team needed to overcome in terms of <laughs> connecting authentically with all of the different persona groups. <clears throat> it's one thing for procurement to sit down with other procurement professionals, right? We understand the motivations, the likely background, the way you look at the world. But if you were bringing together a broad enough range of personas that them having conversations with each other was a source of value, some mm. of those persona groups had to have been easier for procurement to identify and connect with than others, how did you help your team sort of walk a mile in the shoes of some of the persona groups that didn't have a whole lot in common with them? Um, so I think, first of all, when, we, when it comes to what we did from a training perspective, that's probably the easiest example. We would, we obviously, we had to start with a, you know, a headquarter pack because if not, we had nothing, right? But as soon as we could, let's just say we had a focus on, um, vessel repairs, for instance, which is a you know a massive multifaceted category within Maersk. As soon as we had the first categories down, we would basically go back and change all the materials so it fit with that category. And then instead of me being the one speaking, we would basically ask somebody who either had done the training before or somebody who was supposed to be getting training, and we would onboard them just a bit before we did the training with everybody else. And we would make sure they had a very active role. They would, if it was the first time, they would present the cases, they would present the impact, they would present the situation, what they knew about the supply market, you know, things that you knew, maybe less on methodology. If they had more insights on the methodology behind procurement, we would actually get to train some of the methodology pieces also. Because that way, they would be saying it in their words to their audience with people that they could actually you know, align with which is a lot better than me saying exactly the same thing, but being headquarters, I'm just not that trustworthy, yeah. not compared to these people. 
Now, when you think about all of the change that you have led and experienced and the corresponding changes that you have seen, I'm sure, in the procurement professionals that you've worked with, what would you say are the skill sets, the tendencies, the human strengths that are required for procurement to be successful in the long term? It's going to sound very, I think, easy, but I think there's a few things. I think, first of all, procurement need to be better at being extremely factual. Um, I think we need to be better at using the insights and the data that we have um, so we can speak with, with complete trust in, you know, this is how much money we spend with each supplier, this is how the supply market works, et cetera, et cetera, because that is something that we own more than anybody else. That's our part of the procurement process. And I think we, we tend to be skipping that just mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, or if we do it, we do it maybe once and then we forget to follow up on it. So I think that's definitely something we should be better at. But I think that's the foundation. And I think something that is being missed, uh, unfortunately, is that we tend to forget that procurement actually is the same as working in sales. Because, and I think I said this before, as a procurement professional, you need to sell the idea to a cost owner that you as a service center, because procurement is a back office service center, can bring value to that cost owner. We're not a threat. We are a support just like HR or IT or legal or anybody else is. And we need to do the same exercise with every single internal stakeholder. And then we need to take all that and say, how do we go to the supply market and make it appealing and interesting for a whole range of suppliers to suddenly become active and start bidding on this in a positive way where we can all gain share on it. Um, So I think that selling part is just something that I think is almost a a no word. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think most procurement professionals acknowledge that most of what they do beyond the mechanics of procurement is actually doing sales. No, I I think you're probably right about that. And given the challenges that we sometimes face working with supplier representatives, some of whom are in sales, you can see where people might pause and think, no, no, that's, that's not us. But I think you're absolutely right in that, you know, whether we think of it as influencing or bringing people on board or building consensus, really at the end of the day, What you're doing, in fact, is selling. And even back to your earlier point, when you said that it's important for procurement to be extremely factual, it's so, to me, straightforward. And yet, I think in recent years, we've been focused on repairing our reputation from a relational standpoint Mm. to the extent that maybe the need to be factual and build trust based on that data has fallen by the wayside a little bit. We're trying to, oh, how do you want to engage with me? What's the tone of things you prefer? I'm going to hug all my suppliers. But at the end of the day, if everybody is standing on a solid foundation of fact, all of the relationship things should in fact be easier, shouldn't they? They should exactly. I think that's what we're trying to work on in our own setup, right? Is to make sure we can bring facts to people so we can spend more time on saying, what do we want to do based on having insights instead of spending all the time on discussing are those insights right or wrong, which inherently, you know, half the time will lead people to say, I don't trust it. So I'm just going to fall back to what I normally do, whatever that might be, you know, hammering the suppliers, trying to repair a relationship with the supplier or internally, etc. And I think we need to be stronger at having, you know, a good baseline for what we work with. I think I also see, at least in some procurement departments, and I've worked with quite a few hundred, especially in PwC, 
some of the procurement departments are a bit afraid of taking clear ownership of the piece that is theirs and then at the same time recognizing that they're only put into this world to support the business even though they may own the process and the systems and the insights in in actuality all they have to do is to make sure they support business in one shape or form right do you have a guess as to why they're afraid I'm inclined to agree with you, but I'm I'm curious about your thoughts behind what's driving that fear. Well, I think we, I think it's fair to say that procurement, you know, it may be unreasonable. I think we have a lot of resistance because we're taking on things that are a bit tricky, right? So we have to negotiate with suppliers where sometimes you have to be a bit tough at the same time with the internal stakeholders. Because you get involved from procurement, you are de facto taking away at least part of the mandate that a cost owner normally tended to have themselves because you get involved. They need to share at least some of the process, right? So we got a lot of pushback. And it can take it can take a long time. I mean, I've had stakeholders that would take me years for me to convince them that actually we we made total sense to engage with and then finally when they they came around they changed jobs right <laughs> and then you start over again right yeah. as if your your job wasn't stressful enough to start off with <laughs> it's not an easy it's not an easy place to be in procurement not saying we should whine about it but i think it helps if you enter any discussion internally or actually saying, saying, this is what we do in procurement. We own this process. We are putting the world to do these two, three, four, five, ten things, depending on the company and your mandate, right? And you say that out loud. So a simple thing, for instance, at least what, what I've been training my staff to do is that when we engage with stakeholders, we open the meeting with saying, no, we do this. We own this part of the process. You own this. We're here to help you. But let's be very clear. This is my mandate. This is your mandate. And we do the same thing with the suppliers. So the supplier also know what is things that they discuss with procurement and what is things that they discuss with non-procurement, could be anybody, typically a cost owner, operational staff. And we would also, so in, in the training sessions, we would also train suppliers actually, because if we don't train suppliers, how on earth can we expect mm-hmm. them to be acting the way that we expect them to act when we have defined you know, our way of doing procurement? So I think we just need to take a bit more ownership and find a way to just stand by it and then... That makes it easier to then focus on all the really difficult stuff afterwards. So, Thomas, as we come to the end of our time together, I want to put a question to you that I actually ask everyone that joins me here on The Sourcing Hero. And in fact, it's, it's actually two questions. I'll give you a choice. I would like to know either how would you define the idea of a sourcing hero or how would you define heroism? in a business context, the, the choice between the two is yours. Okay, well, I think I'll definitely go for the, at least my definition of a sourcing hero. Um, I found that the best people I work with in procurement have been honestly almost true heroes in the fact that they could bridge these gaps, you know, internally and externally between, you know, C-suite and blue colors, cost owners and procurement legal finance. But it could also bridge the gap between us as a buyer versus a seller and make that work. So I think anybody who can do that successfully and the in the end, after you know, a long, strenuous, you know, sourcing process, still make sure that people turn around saying, This was a really good process. You took ownership and this was successful and now we'll actually work based on the, you know, contract that we signed. I think in in my perspective, that's a true sourcing hero. Well, if people have listened in to our conversation today and would like to connect with you, engage with you on social media, maybe even get in touch and learn more about your journey and and the work that you're doing at CostBits, 
what is the best way for them to get in touch? I think the easiest would just be to go to our homepage on www.cospits.com uh, or hook me up on LinkedIn. Just take my name, Thomas Hillenior, and just you know, connect with me. And then you know, shoot me two lines and we'll take it from there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being with me today, Thomas. I appreciated having you. Likewise. Been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.